politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and leaderless flock to the one and only CR podcast here at Blaze TV. Yes, this is Daniel Horowitz, your host, back in the house live here on Monday, December 28th, when so many have taken off the entire two weeks. I was just chomping at the bit to get back to you guys um, because you are such a loyal audience and there is so much going on that I had to be back in this chair. Special thanks to Laura for producing this show, even though uh, she had vacation this week. I'm going to try to communicate with you guys as much as I can throughout this week, even with uh, so many things shut down and our main operations on vacation. But today we will have a full show. Because boy, oh boy, is there a lot to talk about. Now, last week, as you well know, I was out in Front Sight, Nevada, Pahrump, Nevada, training with Patriot Academy, uh, just unbelievable uh, constitutional defensive handgun class. Uh, You know, look, I've been shooting forever, but the bottom line is there's so much bad muscle memory. I've been doing so many things wrong, and... They taught me everything. So shout out to to Frank and Chad, my instructors there. Truly a, a terrific experience, and it was worth all the time uh, I put into it. And folks, the good news is, those of you who want to meet me in person, I know I don't go to many places because, frankly, most of the conservative events I get invited to are a bunch of frauds. So there's no point in me going. I don't go to CPAC and events like that. I turned down another convention last week that, uh, let's just say, wasn't worth my time. But in early February, Patriot Academy, Rick Green and the boys are going to be out there for another training. So I probably will be out there. And look, you know, these classes from Front Sight are very, very expensive to do on your own. But if you do it with Patriot Academy... Um, It's much, much cheaper, so we're going to be talking about that in January. Patriot Academy is going to be a new partner with this program, and I'm really, really excited about that opportunity. And they are grassroots training for both handgun training, but also constitutional training, local activism training. And as you heard from our last program last Monday with Shannon Joy, Local activism is all we have left. And I think you guys all saw that last night when Trump signed what is possibly the worst piece of legislation in our history. The most consequential legislation that has basically buried his presidency, that has made, together with all the other bad budget bills he signed, which is all of them, the last four years, which has made the last four years worthless. We're going to get into all that. I am going to slay a bunch of beasts today. And I know a lot of people will get offended, but I don't care. We got to get rid of the golden calves, whether it's the Republican Party, whether it's even Trump. We are putting our faith into the wrong people, into the wrong ideas. Do we even know what it means to be a conservative anymore? What is conservatism? Are we all a bunch of socialists now? Oh, and Are we better off than we were four years ago? And I don't just mean your 401k in the stock market. Yes, I know that has gone up. But putting that aside on any other front, crime is worse than it was after eight years of Obama. Okay? 
interior enforcement, we're going to get into this, of illegal immigration is lower than it was under Obama. The border numbers are higher than they were under Obama. The debt is demonstrably higher than it was under Obama. The degree of dependency in this country, oh my gosh, is well beyond anything under Obama. And most importantly, the degree of tyranny we have in the suspension of our lives, our liberty, our property, our schools, is certainly worse than anything we could have ever imagined under Obama. That is a stone-cold truth we need to confront. And we need to confront it now. Now look, there's a lot to talk about. We could talk about all those issues. There's immigration news. There's crime news. There's more news on the dual justice system where BLM folks don't get arrested for what they do, but our own business owners get arrested for merely trying to survive. You have the Nashville bombing. I mean, I'm telling you, it used to be I go away for a week, you know, especially Christmas, New Year's uh, week, and you don't miss anything now. You miss a week then. I mean, you miss the world. The Nashville bombing. It looks like increasingly that's going to become the new Las Vegas shooting, if you know what I mean, where, well, if the outcome of something doesn't fit the narrative of the media, you don't really hear much about it. Looks like we're not going to get to the bottom of that because it looks like it was probably an anti-police type of guy. Certainly wasn't a right winger. You know, I go offline every Saturday and I came back expecting to see like all the news about Nashville and I saw nothing. I was like, whoa, what happened there? And that's when I knew that this was obviously perpetrated not by some sort of right wing guy because we would have known everything about it. But obviously... We're going to talk about this budget bill because it's not about the budget. It encompasses corona fascism. It encompasses everything we care about. And it embodies the Republican Party. But unfortunately, also, it embodies this presidency. Folks, I want you to listen to the president right here. Take a listen to this clip from him. It was March 23rd, 2018. Take a listen. Therefore, as a matter of national security, I've signed this omnibus budget bill. There are a lot of things that I'm unhappy about in this bill. There are a lot of things that we shouldn't have had in this bill, but we were, in a sense, forced, if we want to build our military, we were forced to have. There are some things that we should have in the bill. But I say to Congress, I will never sign another bill like this again. I'm not going to do it again. So, folks, that was after he signed another terrible omnibus bill. I think that was like 2,000, 2,500 pages. This one's 5,300. And he said, never again. Imagine the arc of the presidency had he kept that promise and not signed three or four other similar bad bills since then. But the reality is, The president has never not done that. The president, every single budget bill he has signed this, uh, uh, his presidency has been a Democrat bill. A lot of people don't realize this. And I want to make this very clear. A lot of people have focused on the budget news pretty late in the game. As you know, I have focused on every budget. I've written about it 
since really the last 11 years or so. Certainly that includes the four years of the Trump presidency. Okay? And every time I gave over to you the opportunities we had, the pitfalls, the messaging that we needed, because Congress doesn't pass legislation anymore. The executive branch and the judicial branch basically do everything they want. So everything boils down to the once a year budget bill. That, that's everything. All That is a reflection of your values. Our values on spending, on liberty, on a crime, on illegal immigration, you name it. That's going to be embodied in those bills. So when I was out in Nevada and I was totally out of the news, it was kind of cute just watching from afar. All these programs finally realized, oh, we're paying for funding in border security in Tunisia and, and programs in Pakistan. And I laughed because this was true of every budget bill that I couldn't get the phony conservative media focused on for years when Trump was president and for the first two years when they had the trifecta control with the House and the Senate. But they didn't pay attention. Suddenly now they woke up. I don't know what tipped them off because there was nothing new about this. Oh, look what the Democrats stuck in. It's always there. Trump asked for it in his own budget. I mean, this is the dirty little secret. Do you see what they did to Trump? They put all this garbage in the bill. Dude, Trump's Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, who is indistinguishable from who will have in a Biden administration, has been negotiating all this stuff. He negotiated it. The reason Republicans supported it is because he supported it. It was a joke. What happened was conservatives finally got in his case, so Trump had to fake for two days to be upset about it, and then he goes and he signs it. And then it's a fake fight. We're fighting over the wrong things. Trump's like, we're not spending enough money. We need $2,000 checks. Now, look, I get the talking point that once you're going to do it, $600 is enough, and $2,000 would be more. And I get the talking point of, oh, if we're going to spend money, you know, $60 billion on foreign aid, we should spend more on the American people. I get the talking point. But we're missing everyone, even the conservatives that finally woke up. They missed the point, and this is where the president is going to trick them. Because guess what? They're going to vote tomorrow on a separate bill to plus up the spending for stimulus checks. And you know what? It's going to pass because you can't outbid the left. They have no problem throwing more money at people indiscriminately. The checks are the problem. But moreover, the issue was the lockdowns. We don't need, you're stimulating a dead body. How do you stimulate a lockdown? Normally you have the economy open and you say, hey, let's give people some more money. I mean, I don't agree with Keynesian economics, but that's what you do or you do it in the form of a tax cut. Here, what they are doing is underwriting, saying boy" to all these governors and mayors that are shutting us down. We have this fight for nine months over lockdown. And now you have the very bill that has all the leverage points in it. When Republicans and Trump could say, we will not give another penny to the states until and unless the lockdowns end, the civil liberties are restored, our life, liberty, and property are untouched. But instead, they did the opposite. The governors, see, the governors could never have done this without that first horrible bill in March. I warned about it then. It's You, you could replay my shows for March. I had Thomas Massey on back then. He tried to block it and Trump bit his head off. And his point was, 
that, dude, if states were forced to own the calamity they create, they couldn't afford it. So they come with their hands out begging at the federal trough. This bill dumps $82 billion into the state education systems. The very departments of education and departments of health that are shutting down our lives, this gives them money to do more tracing and monitoring and sending around Nazis to shut down businesses. It literally pays them to do it. And then they could say, look, you're getting your stimulus checks. You're getting more PPP funding, which, of course, most of the small businesses don't get it anyway. So therefore, here you go. Mr. President, the issue is not we don't want a handout. We want a paycheck. It's not a matter of six hundred versus two thousand dollars. If you're going to hand out that much money, why don't you just hand everyone a million dollar check if money is free? If we're all a bunch of socialists now, the issue is not the checks. The issue is people like Larvita McFarker in Minnesota that are being threatened with arrest for opening their business. Open our businesses, and you don't need checks. And again, these checks are stupid because people like me, I have a family of six now. Maybe we'll go on last year's taxes, so it'll be five kids for me. 2000 a pop? What, I'm going to get like $10,000? I didn't lose a penny. I'm thankful for that. But look, I'll take it. I'll take free money. But people that earned a little bit over the cutoff, which is not that high... Last year, before the lockdown, but this year had their business destroyed, they get nothing. And then all these people, these government workers that earn 100, 120, 130 as a family and didn't lose a penny and get to work from home and do nothing, they all get free money. Now, there's one thing in March, like, oh, we don't have the time to sort out, you know, who lost the job and who didn't. But this is months, this is nine months later. All the problems of dead people. I have a dead relative that got a check. People in foreign countries getting it. You're going to have that same problem. We just throw away money. This is what we're doing. More unemployment benefits. Stop stimulating unemployment. You stimulate employment. That's the problem with the bill. Instead, we spent the last week... Either saying it's not socialist enough, it didn't spend enough money, and yeah, I get the the talking point. Or, oh, the foreign aid. Oh, the Kennedy Center. We always like to fight, like, the parsimonious detail, but not the meat and potatoes. The premise of the bill is offensive. The premise of the bill stimulates lockdown. It will give the governors everything they need for another 6 to 12 months of lockdown. You know, Paul Wellstone said, former senator from Minnesota, now he was saying this about socialists. It's funny because I don't see when they ever didn't fight hard enough, but he used to be considered the socialist senator before Bernie Sanders. But I don't think he could have envisioned the socialism we have today. But anyway, he said, quote, if we don't fight hard enough for the things we stand for, at some point we have to recognize that we don't really stand for them. And I think we all need to look in the mirror as conservatives, alleged conservatives, and ask ourselves that question. If we don't fight hard enough for all these things, then at some point we don't stand for them. Oh my gosh, 
You know, the Democrats might win the Senate. They, they could pass socialism. You idiot. If this that Republicans and Trump are doing is not socialism, I don't know what is. Do you know that in the four years of Obama's first term, we accrued $5.8 trillion in debt? Now, and this is not going to include this new bill, this is until now, the first four years of Trump, which will now be the only four years minus a month, $7.6 trillion in debt. And again, I want to make something very clear. There have been about six or seven or so budget bills and debt ceiling increases passed during this presidency. Every single one of them, every single one of them passed with unanimous, near unanimous Democrat support and more Democrat support in Congress than Republican support. So this president has been a Democrat. Okay, I I know I'm going to get all these complaints and everything, but I just don't care. That is a fact, and I'm going to try to lay it out. I have vertigo today. It's kind of difficult for me to write and whatever. I woke up with just this random virus. I get it every year or two, um, but I wasn't going to allow it to keep me away from the show today. But I'm going to try to document the budget bills since 2017. Do you know that every one of them now, a lot of Republicans voted for them too, because the Republicans are good for nothing, but you know, you have the freedom caucus guys and whatever, you know, sometimes a fifth to a quarter to even sometimes a close to a half of house Republicans would oppose it, but they would pass because at least half the Republicans support it. And certainly the overwhelming majority of Senate Republicans who are to the left of house Republicans, but almost every single Democrat, This is a bill that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and all the cast of Kamala Harris voted for this. That's the joke. And we looked from man to pig and pig to man, and we couldn't tell which was which. They're all the same. We could make excuses for the man, but it's over with already. We got to look beyond it. I'm not saying to ignore the fraud, but, you know, the Republicans aren't doing anything about it anyway. I'm not saying not to have a fight on January 6th. We definitely should, and kudos to um, Mo Brooks, Alabama Republican, for doing that. But the reality is that this president has barely even known his veto pen. He gets accused of being like a strong man. He wouldn't even know how to be a strong man. He doesn't even utilize the bully pulpit and the veto pen that he has. I'm sick of the excuses. This is why look at any measure, fiscal, social, liberty, crime, immigration. We are worse off today than we were four years ago, and that's at the end of eight years of Obama. Eight years of damage. Oh, oh, I had to sign it last night. We couldn't have a government shutdown. Are you freaking kidding me? We have a civilization shutdown. We have an economic shutdown. We have our lives shut down. You know, my, my, my kids were crying yesterday. They just like, one of them broke down already, just couldn't stand it, that we don't do anything on Sundays anymore. Where do we go? Where do we go? There's nothing to do. It's either closed or they abuse you with the stupid mask stuff, so there's nowhere to go. When the government is shut down, we don't even notice it. This shutdown destroys our lives. 
I'm sorry, if our lives are shut down, that damn government better be shut down. Oh, we can't have a government shutdown even for a, an hour. We can't even go one day into a government shutdown, but we can go nine months into a shutdown of civilization, of economy, of lifelong dreams of small business owners. Of our ability to breathe free air without a Chinese diaper. And boy, has that become a cult. This was the first time I flew on an airplane since this stuff started. And on each one, they actually have a, you know, when they come to the video or the announcement about an emergency landing and the oxygen uh, masks uh, being deployed from above your seat, they actually have to tell people to take off your Chinese diaper in order to put on the oxygen mask. Yeah. Yeah. Folks, there's a surreal dichotomy going on right now with this Georgia Senate race. This obsession about GOP keeping you know control of the Senate and the GOP screwing us on, on these bills. It's like, oh my gosh, we have to keep control of the Senate. Who's we? They have it. And look what they're passing. This is the this bill is everything embedded in it. It's four years worth of priorities. It underwrites everything the left wants to do. We are worse off than we ever were on budget and dependency and spending. But you know where we're also worse off? We're also worse off on illegal immigration. One of the things you might have seen is that this bill cuts ICE's budget by $430 million. I want you to understand the consequences and the context of that. Interior, there's nothing more important than interior immigration enforcement. I, I've said this before. ICE is the most important agency we have, and the reason is this. A standard police department, there's not much they can do. They could just apprehend, but then the justice system lets them go. Right? I mean, American criminals don't get locked up. But at least if you're an illegal alien, you don't have a right to a trial. I mean, unless we're trying to criminally convict you and lock you up in an American prison. But if we're just trying to remove you, repatriate you back to your country. So, you know, ICE could complete that circuit of law enforcement and grab you and throw you out. Like any sovereign country has the right to do. Well, ICE came out. I've been waiting for this for a while. They came out with their annual report on the results of enforcement for fiscal year. 2020 that ended obviously October 1st a couple months ago now we're in fiscal year 2021 and it turns out that there was a 28% decline in ice enforcement and removal arrests from the previous year the lowest in years ice only removed 185,000 the lowest number since 2005 ICE issued just 122,000 detainers down from 165,000 last year. Okay. Now, there's a lot of points that need to be made here. I want to make them one by one. You see, this is not just because of COVID. I'm going to get to that in a minute. You know, COVID because ICE was partially shut down and whatever. This has been happening the entire Trump presidency. 
he has never reached Obama levels of deportations. That, that's just a reality. Okay? For all the talk, interior enforcement is in the toilet. We don't have the resources. We still don't go after all the lawfare that gums up the works of deporting people. And then you have all the sanctuaries and all the areas where illegals live where basically they play hide the ball and we never do anything in these budget bills to defund sanctuary cities. Just the opposite. All these cities that are locking up Americans for opening a business while letting out criminals and letting out and harboring criminal aliens, they all got funding in this bill. Okay? Now, you understand the type of people ICE is arresting is not just your cleaning lady or something. These are really bad dudes. Among those arrested this year, there was a cumulative tab of either convictions or charges, mainly convictions, but it includes charges as well. 1,800 homicide-related offenses. 1,800. 1,600 kidnappings, 3,800 robberies, 37,000 assaults, and 10,000 sex crimes. In total, there were more than 374,000 criminal convictions and pending charges, an average of four per alien. Okay? So when you go one year and have a 28% drop from the previous year, it's not because they didn't exist. It's because, well, they say it's COVID, but either way, the point is, it's not that the problem doesn't exist. So it's that many robbers, murders, and rapists of other countries, and certainly the drunk drivers, which are very rampant among them, that are remain in this country indefinitely. ICE has in their detention facilities just 19,000 aliens. Do you know how many are on their docket in total. Their docket means the number of people that basically they have targeted for removal and have started and have initiated actions or enforcement removal proceedings against them. And of course, because of the broken system where we don't follow existing law and we allow them each to have their stupid day in administrative court, they, they, they litigate it forever and it takes forever to, to remove even, even the worst gang members. But there are a total of 3.26 million, 3.26 million, so three and a quarter million of these people. Now, let me tell you, there's a lot more criminal aliens in this country, there's a lot more illegal aliens in total. These are the people that were bad enough to be on ICE's radar, okay, with their limited resources. Remember, ICE is an agency has, I'm trying to remember, maybe 17,000 people, but they only have about 5,500 or so deportation officers. That's less than a third or maybe even a quarter of the size of NYPD. 3.26 million in their crosshairs, but just 19,000 are in detention. That means almost all of them, 99% of them, remain undetained at large in the country. These are the known ones, okay? Among them, over 1 million have already received final orders of removal. 
They've had all their time in court and they remain in the country. Another 1.5 million, it's a total of 2.5 million, but an additional 1.5 million have what's called pending final removal orders. In other words, they had a removal order, but they're appealing it. We can't even control our own sovereignty from the worst to the worst, yet Trump just signed a bill cutting the budget of ICE. I wanted you guys to hear this in the context of this budget bill. Okay? And Leahy even bragged about it on his press release. Pat Leahy, he's the um, top Democrat um, appropriator. He bragged about the fact that... um. There are 26,000 fewer bed space allocated in this bill than President Trump's request. But then again, this has been the story of the presidency. Trump puts out a budget blueprint every year promising conservative governance. And then he ultimately signs a bill that increases funding on the very programs he plans to eliminate and decreases funding for things like ICE. This has been the story of the last four years. I mean, you guys who have listened to this show from day one, since before Trump's presidency, you guys know I've been talking about this forever. And we're not focused. And this is how we turned a presidency that was an opportunity into a calamity. We could say who's to blame, who's not to blame, how much of it is Trump, how much of it is the shallow state, how much of it is the deep state, how much of it is congressional Republicans, how much of it is just the media juggernaut. Whatever it is, we are worse off as a country on any major measure than we were four years ago. And when you look at the COVID fascism, oh my gosh, it's not even close. It's not even close. It's terribly sad. I mean, you look at those budget numbers. You remember the Tea Party was spawned by the spending under Obama that shocked our consciousness at the time. He looks like Barry Goldwater compared to this presidency. I'm not kidding. Oh, well, Daniel, but that, but, but, but we have COVID. But that's the point. That's the point. We should never have agreed to underwrite the governors doing this lockdown in March and certainly reaffirming it in December. That's why we have the debt. You're right. But we shouldn't have agreed to that. But then again, it's Trump's own vice president that sicked upon this nation, this task force that started this entire concept. I'm sick of hearing Biden. Deborah Burks and that whole crowd. Okay? They are pushing the same things that Biden is. It's not, it will happen, it is happening. The contact tracing, the mass testing of flawed PCR tests. Do you, do you understand this bill dumps billions of dollars more into PCR testing that, have, that has just utterly failed? And of course, nothing is in this bill, not a word mentioned about making available hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, which have shown to work and cost a fraction of the stuff that they're pushing. This bill, it's not even the, it's not the spending levels. It's not the transgender programs in Pakistan. 
I mean, we don't agree with any of that, but that's small potatoes. It's not how much money you're going to throw at people. It's that this bill takes nine months worth of fascism from these governors and these mayors. And rather than saying, I am going to use this as a stick against you, you can't do it. It says, no, we are going to make it a carrot. Good job, guys. Thank you for crushing the liberties of American business owners. Thank you for abusing our children in the schools with these draconian regulations and the wearing the mask for seven days and often not even having any school. Thank you, Teachers Union. Here's another $82 billion on top of record baseline appropriations for the Department of Education, which, by the way, has skyrocketed under Trump every year. It's up to something like $76 billion for the Department of Education. But here's emergency COVID funding on top of that. And by the way, another $10 billion for universities that are shut down and are brainwashing our children and destroying this country. I mean, I don't get it. And Trump's like, well, they agreed to pass in a separate bill more money. What? So then that's, I mean, if every person gets a $2,000 check per person, all the more so the governors will be inclined to keep, keep it up by feeling people are happy. The worst we can do is make people happy with lockdown. And then he's like, they agreed to look at voter fraud. I don't even know where Democrats have even said that. This is Trump saving face to his base. He's not talking to the country in general because the Democrats never agreed to that and never will. I don't know what he's talking about. They're going to get rid of Section uh, 230? No, they're not. I don't know where what he's talking about. The point is, the time has come to slay this idolatry. Let's take our own destiny in our own hands. Stop putting false hope into a sack full of holes, like the verse in Haggai says. Into clothes that don't warm us. Into food that doesn't satiate us. And a wallet that's full of holes. What we're doing is not working. It's not working one bit. And and guys, I hate to say it, but this is a glimpse into what a second term of Trump would have looked like. You know, I was hoping as time went on, look, maybe second term reaffirmation of everything. Trump wouldn't worry about the media and he wouldn't worry about congressional Republicans and whatever. But no, I mean... Look, now more than ever, literally, he has nothing to lose. It's the end of the line. I, even I thought Trump was going to fight this time. I, I had no clue. This I was really blindsided when he just announced quietly, yeah, I signed it last night. And sadly, this is what would continue happening. We'd continue to have fascism in this country, just like we had under his first term. And it's like, oh, I can't do anything. What do I do? I don't know. I have Mnuchin as Treasury Secretary. I mean, this is what's going to keep happening. If anything, this will allow us to cut those ties with the Republican Party and end the idolatry going forward. Now, look, I mean, Trump could still do good if he were to atone from his mistakes of supporting rhinos in primaries 
and actually go out even as, as a former president, but still as the biggest name among conservatives, rightfully or wrongfully, and support challengers. I mean, this is something I'm going to be working on this week. Look at all the governors that are up for re-election in solid red states like Mike DeWine in Ohio and Holcomb in in uh, Indiana and Bill Lee in Tennessee, solid red states with fascist, rhino, pro-criminal, pro-mask, pro-fascism governors who are on par with Gavin Newsom, on par with Andrew Cuomo in red states. How are they able to win a Republican primary in a second? We should easily be recruiting candidates and Trump should absolutely be supporting them right away. You know, you could say when he was president, well, he was the head of the party, didn't want to rock the boat. He was too scared to create too much infighting. I mean, I'm not defending it, but I'm just saying now he has nothing to lose. But now I wonder if even now he's bought into this stuff. So that's an inconvenient reality. I just want to say something with them shutting down ICE operations. So everyone's going to say, well, Daniel... You know, the reason why interior enforcement was down this year is because everything was down um, just because of the virus. I want you to think about the profundity of the dichotomy of outcomes that has occurred here. The same virus that has been used as a pretext to ratchet up illegal enforcement against Americans who are peaceful everyday citizens simply for opening the very businesses that serve as the backbones of our communities. That same virus is being used as an excuse to ratchet down enforcement against the worst child molesters, drunk drivers, murderers, and MS-13 gang members of other countries' citizens that don't even belong here in the first place. How is that for a dual justice system, a two-tier justice system in this country? Think about it. The same time that we are told, oh, man, well, what can we do? Things are closed. We can't really, you know, enforce the law. A $5,000 fine for this guy from Oklahoma who went on a skiing trip to Colorado and Colorado is actually summoning him to come back to the state for a court date. See, they're so worried about the spread. They don't allow you to come, but if you come, they're going to make you come back again for a court date. Think about that. This guy is now subject to a, to um, is a story out of out there, Colorado.com. I think it's other places as well. The city, they're talking about Aspen. The city instructs visitors to carry documentation of their negative results and documentation that the online travel form was completed. Folks, if if law enforcement were to ask this of illegal aliens, where's your documentation? They would get fired and even criminalized in some states. But we could say to Americans, show me your papers. Folks, I want to make this very clear. It's funny, I'm, I'm teaching my... Son, this we're we're learning about the Articles of Confederation, Constitution, Constitutional Convention. We're up to the 1780s in our history class for homeschooling, and 
you know, one of the things I taught him was that as weak as the Articles of Confederation were in forming a federal union, even under the Articles, Article 4 of the document prohibited colonies from denying privileges and immunities of American citizenship to another state or people from another state. So in other words, even though they were able to regulate interstate commerce, they were not able to regulate interstate travel even under the Articles. That provision was obviously transferred over to the Constitution, Article 4, Section 2, Privileges and Immunities Clause, and of course the 14th Amendment in 1867 gave Congress a mechanism at a federal level to enforce against the states and punish states that violate the rights of American citizens. And this bill was the opportunity for them to enforce Section 5 of the of the 14th Amendment to enforce the Privileges and Immunities Clause against these states that do this. And instead they say, good job, here's some more money. Can you imagine a travel ban on another state? How unconstitutional that is? But they get away with it. Because we have an impotent president, an impotent Congress. And I was going to say an impotent Republican Party, but it's not impotent. It's actually uh, designed to do what they do. It's deliberate. But I want to go back to the virus a little bit here. There was earth-shattering news that should really be the biggest news of the week. I mean, I know there's a lot of big news of the week. And we are going to track some of the other stories here. The national bombing. But this is from LifeSite.com. Good website there. One of the few good, good sites on our site. And literally, this should be the top news item of the week. A study of almost 10 million people in Wuhan, China, found that asymptomatic spread of COVID-19 did not occur at all, thus undermining the need for lockdowns which are built on the premise of the virus being unwittingly spread by infectious asymptomatic people. Published in November in the scientific journal Nature Communications, the paper was compiled by 19 scientists, mainly from Huzang University of Science and Technology in Wuhan, but also from scientific institutions across China as well as in the UK and Australia. Basically, they found that um, there's nothing doing there. There's nothing doing. It's stated that out of nearly 10 million people, there were 300 asymptomatic cases were found. Contact tracing was then carried out on those 300 people and no cases of COVID were detected in any of them. Among 1,174 contacts of those 300 asymptomatic people. Both asymptomatic patients and their contacts were placed in isolation for two weeks. The results remain the same. None of the, quote, none of the detected positive cases or their close contacts became symptomatic or nearly confirmed with COVID-19 during the isolation period. Further evidence showed that the virus cultures in the positive and repositive asymptomatic cases were all negative, indicating no viable virus in positive cases detected in this study. 
Ages of those found to be asymptomatic range between 10 and 89, with the asymptomatic positive rate being lowest in children or adolescent age 17 and below and highest among those older than 60. So there you go. This entire thing is built on a lie. And again, this is not like, oh, well, you know, this is a novel idea. Are we sure? Wow. No asymptomatic transmission. This was the science for decades that Fauci himself espoused in January. At the beginning, when this started out, it was like January 30th, I think, the clip from him. And he was like, dude, like, I mean, this, I mean, even if, even if you have asymptomatic transmission here and there, it certainly is not a meaningful driver of, a, of an epidemic. That's what he said. I'm paraphrasing there. It wasn't an exact quote, but those are some of the words he used. Think about it. You know what? Let, let, let me play the clip here. here. Here's Fauci from January 30th. Take a listen. To just add one thing that seems to get lost in that question is that, as Bob said, and I agree, we would really like to see the data because if there is asymptomatic transmission, it impacts certain policies that you do regarding screening, et cetera. But the one thing historically people need to realize that even if there is some asymptomatic transmission, in all the history of respiratory-borne viruses of any type, asymptomatic transmission has never been the driver of outbreaks. The driver of outbreaks is always a symptomatic person. Even if there's a rare asymptomatic person that might transmit, an epidemic is not driven by asymptomatic carriers. So you hear that, folks. That was the understanding then. Okay, you think maybe this is different. So we go a month wearing masks. We go a month locking down everyone and everything and treating healthy like the sick, something we've never done before and are well beyond the police powers of a state, even if you believe they could quarantine sick people, they cannot quarantine healthy people, saying, oh, maybe you're asymptomatic. That is bull. Here we are nine months later and every single study ever conducted on this issue has failed to find meaningful spread among asymptomatic. Okay? I mean, this also follows an analysis published in JAMA I talked about from University of Florida Gainesville and the Cancer Research Center in Seattle found the same thing. They found 26 times greater degree of spread among symptomatic people. They pulled together 54 studies that totaled 77,000 participants. And they collectively observed the chances of spread of asymptomatic, even in the household, right? We talked about this um, two weeks ago. So even among household spread, where you're more likely, if an asymptomatic person is going to spread, they're sure as heck a lot more likely to spread it to people that they're with for hours on end in close quarters in a home than just passing in a store for a minute or a second. And even then, the rate of spread was 0.7% to household contacts. So you could imagine that in terms of, oh, you might be asymptomatic, so you have to wear a mask in a store, that's got to be close to zero. All for a lie. All for a lie. Okay? 
your chance of dying from an asymptomatic spread if you're under 70. Okay, so I'm taking the Gainesville study and looking at the death rate under 70, which is 0.05. Okay? Your chance of dying if someone in your home has an asymptomatic case and you are under 70 is 0.00035% or 1 in 285,714. That's in a household. On the street, I'm sure that's well over 1 in a million. But I don't know exactly. All for a lie. But where is Trump's administration task force? Where is there anyone? Scott Atlas was pushed out. That's what I'm telling you. This administration is already stage five cancer. There's nothing to save. And by the way, one thing we have to make sure is that Mike Pence never, ever gets close to that presidency ever again for what he's done to us. Let's never forgive and never forget that he is the man who catalyzed this task force that has fundamentally remade our lives, remade the relationship between citizen and government, and has turned America into North Korea. Now, of course, while America is North Korea, for murderers, it's Afghanistan. We'll talk about this throughout the week. But in 51 cities across the U.S., they saw an average of a 35% jump in murder this year. And um, then you have the dual justice system. Two-tiered. Two-tiered justice system. Prosecutors declined to charge Black Lives Matter militant who ran over Proud Boy in Washington. Remember that guy that ran over? He's not getting charged. Because we have a two-tier justice system. Another man accused of ki- hitting and killing um, a Houston police officer. He was ordered released from the psych hospital. These are some stories. If you don't have chance to to, if or, or if I don't have a chance to get to, you're going to want to look up online. But I definitely wanted to give you something extra today. After being out last week, I really am thankful for you guys staying with me. I'm thankful to God for giving me the strength, uh, just despite having vertigo today. I feel better just talking, even though my head is spinning. I have my eyes closed while I'm talking into the mic, so I can't do video today. Um, But I do hope to put out some videos at some point later today or later this week. Um, A lot of you are asking where to find those videos, so you're going to find them at our Facebook fan page. It's Minutemen Speak Easy, as in a tavern. Minutemen Speak Easy. If you're not a member, you could request entry, and Tino will let you in. Um, It's just we make it a private page because a lot of people have expressed concern that they don't want their names public, given what's going on, and I certainly understand that. So let's continue strategizing and communicating. Again, local activism new party, new movement, new approach. We cannot search for new foreign values like mass stimulus checks and spending and this and that because we double down on failed tactics. No, we need to double down on the true and tried constitutional principles but seek new strategies to implement them. And clearly the current leaders 
and political parties are not the answer to that. We need to think bigger. We need to think better headed into the new year. I'm confident that God will give us that guidance, that stamina, that energy, that organization. But we we got to take yes for an answer. We can't just sit back and dope up on political fentanyl and be happy with failure. And if you're going to look me in the eye and say, well, Trump brought peace to Israel and, and, and her neighbors. Look, I am a religious Jew. I'm a Zionist. You know where I stand on that issue. But, dude, what does that do us good here? God could take care of Israel. That's great. That's, that's lovely. But if that's all you have to show for four years, when we have worse debt, worse crime, worse illegal immigration, worse tyranny, worse dual system than, than ever, clearly what we're doing is not working. Foreign policy is kind of the icing on the cake, but you got to have the cake. I was just teaching my son in homeschooling the preamble of the Declaration of the Constitution. We're talking about the words domestic tranquility. It doesn't talk about foreign or international tranquility. It's domestic tranquility. Once you have that, foreign tranquility is the icing on the cake, but you need the cake. We don't have domestic tranquility. The preamble of the Constitution talks about securing the blessing of liberties, that a government is supposed to protect our liberties, but secure tranquility from illegal aliens, from invaders, from criminals. Instead, we have the opposite. The criminals get let out, we get criminalized. The entire premise of that contract has been breached. That means that we need a second constitutional Congress. We need to get together. And again, I'm challenging any colleagues I have to get together. I'm not saying it's necessarily legally binding, but some sort of a meeting where we pray together, we strategize, but strategize with the premise that what we're doing is not working. We need to strive for something much greater in 2021. So again, I hope to be with you at least one or two more times before the new year. Um, we do have our staff off, but you know, Laura has been terrific producing the show. So I'll try to um, put out an episode as much as possible. You could also view my articles at theblaze.com. I'm feeling a little bit under the weather today, so I'm not going to have as much written content as usual, but we do have our piece out on the ICE report. We're going to have more out this week as well. Send me your thoughts, comments, concerns, and questions to dhorowitz at blazemedia.com. Tweet me at rmconservative. You can follow me on Parlor, D-E-H-0414. And of course, on Facebook, Miniman Speakeasy. Till tomorrow, it's been great to be back with you guys. And thank you for listening. 